Welcome to Marketing Week Meets the CX50 in partnership with Zone and Cognizant Digital Experience. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief of Marketing Week and Festival of Marketing, and I am your host. Over the past six years, Zone and Marketing Week have compiled a list of the UK's top 50 customer experience professionals, the CX50. And in this podcast series, we talk to members of this esteemed group about what puts them and their brands at the forefront of customer experience. We meet organisational leaders, brand guardians, disruptors, technologists and growth drivers, all members of this exclusive group. Joining us today is Tamara Strauss, Global Customer Director at Premier Inn. After several senior gigs at some of the biggest players in travel and hospitality, she joined Premier Inn in 2019, a brand which, after a rocky few years during and in wake of lockdown, has now recovered, with revenue and profit surpassing pre-pandemic levels, a performance it put down in part to its reputation for quality and value. But what part does CX play and how does it balance service and price competitiveness and how does it evolve and grow in a very competitive market? Just some of the questions we will get into today. Joining Tamara is Roy Capon, Head of Digital Experience for its clients in growth regions, EMEA and APAC at Zona's parent, Cognizant. Tamara, Roy, hello. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Russell. Tamara, let me begin with you. As I mentioned in my introduction, your current role is customer director. Explain for us what you have oversight of and what are your key objectives in that role? So it's a very broad role, broader than any role that I had previously. So not only responsibility for the brand PR and comms, but also all of our customer insight work, B2B marketing, CRMs, so that one-to-one marketing, and quite differently, all of our new product development. So development of propositions, but also ancillary services. So anything from the design of our bedrooms right through to our bed, car parking, and Amazon lockers. So very broad. Indeed, a lot on your plate. And what are your primary objectives? What, does, uh, what will success look like to your boss? So it's a variety of softer and harder metrics. So everything from our customer satisfaction, awareness, consideration, right through to revenues from our um, ancillary products. So the sales of our beds, car parking revenues, etc., And then overall contributions to our overall rooms revenue and profitability as part of our overall leadership team focusing on commercial. So I have quite a strong link back into our trading team. So all of the products that we're developing from a room perspective obviously have an impact on our trading. I mean, no small set of tasks that you've got there. I imagine one of the big tasks is joining the dots between the different units, operations, technology and marketing. I assume you don't do that alone, but that you do have responsibility for that. So let's dig into how you go about doing that. Firstly, in terms of how you're structured, how does that allow for that joined up thinking in service of better CX, of course? Yeah, so my role originally was part of our operations business, um, but about two and a half years ago through the pandemic, the role moved under more of our commercial areas uh, by virtue of the fact that there's such that link between our product and um, trading. But 
I am very much part of our steering and uh, linkage back into the operational side of the business. So I can't work in isolation as we develop products and proposition. We have to know that they're going to work for our teams, how they're going to deliver it. And we're very much based on models. So it's all well and good for us to design a new room. But does it work for our guests? Does it work for our teams? Is it more sustainable? So as the teams are cleaning the room, are we saving them time and labor? Is it an easy experience for them how do our guests feel so it's it's really important that I'm working across different parts of the business and of course technology is one of the other areas that we have to work very closely with so as we're looking at the evolution of new product and technology they all have to be absolutely aligned so not just from our system integration but safety uh, info security and so forth so we're absolutely aligned on a roadmap uh, between the commercial teams, the operational teams, and also the IT teams on what we're going to be developing and how we're going to be rolling it out. Yeah, I mean, we hear a lot about putting the customer at the centre and the heart of all efforts as if that's a new thing and people are just waking up to the fact that you need to be customer-centric. But it sounds like that that's very much at the heart, genuinely at the heart of your efforts so how do you do that is it in the spirit of collaboration or effort or you know how do you actually practically put the customer at the heart of all the decisions that you make I mean you touched upon it there but if you could give me a little more illustration yeah so after every guest stays with us we run a post-day survey uh, so last year we heard from over two and a half million customers about their experience when they stayed with us so it's everything from the warmth of arrival as they go through check-in right through to the room the food and beverage And it's really important we get that as a constant pulse from what our customers are saying. We review that on a monthly basis with the senior leadership teams and really pull out any key opportunities, actions, areas where we're underperforming, where we've seen changes in performance. But we link that back in also to market level customer insights. So we understand how people are feeling about the economy, about travel, anything else associated with finances, really so we can think about how our product and service sits vis-a-vis our customers from a, a, an absolutely holistic point of view. But it's also really important that it links back in then from our operational teams about how they're performing and what they're delivering. So it's really triangulating kind of lots of different data points to be able to understand how we're performing, where there's a gap in experience, what we're going to do about it, how we trial it, see if it's a success, and then whether we roll it out further. So it's a constant evolution um, of what we're doing. And being clear, you know, that, you know, we're not going to change every month on what we're doing, but we we really think about the initiatives that are are truly important, that we can embed them properly into the operations, into the business, uh, and make them there, make sure they're there for the long term. And can you give me an example of this customer closeness in action? Have you made a change to a product or a service as a result of getting this feedback loop that you described? Yeah, lots of examples of it. So everything from the development of our Premier Plus proposition. So we were starting to see that there was an opportunity for guests to have some kind of additional benefits when they came and stayed with us. And we then used Insight to really truly understand what was the differential that they wanted, what were the price points they were prepared to pay, seeing that we are a value business, and also make sure that we didn't move too far away from the core of the brand. So that started about four and a half years ago. Today, 
we've got over 4,500 Premier Plus rooms, so we take a proportion of our rooms and hotels, we make them into Premier Plus, and that's still the same bed, it's still the same level of comfort, it's a different design of the room, different amenities, they have coffee machines, they have irons and ironing boards, showers, uh, we give them upgraded Wi-Fi access, they've got an espresso coffee machine. So they're just additional benefits that people said that they really wanted, that we were then able to package up into a new room proposition, which are performing incredibly well. So that's just one example. Another one is the quality of sleep. It's at the core of what we're about. And as we saw a decline in the guest scores, it really made us rethink about our beds as really the the thing that we're known for and a programme where we have redeveloped our bed and are now starting to roll out a new upgraded bed, uh, a new bed in conjunction with um, Silent Night, so scientifically proven, and that's now rolling out to 65,000 rooms. So again, it's grounded in the guests telling us that the comfort of sleep was declining, Therefore, you know, we want to make sure they've got the best possible stay experience. And we went through to really, truly understand the difference in scientific development since we last developed a bed over eight, 10 years ago, which said to us, actually, there's so much more that we can learn, we can understand, we need to be democratic, we need to be for everybody. Um, and all that our guest insight from our stays, as well as market data, helped us develop that. And how do you develop a business case for that? Because that's not a a cheap exercise, investing all that money in new and better beds. Um, You've presumably seen an outcome, a positive business outcome. Yeah, so it's um, it's measured um, throughout. We trialled the, the new bed. Obviously, we went out and wanted to make sure that we had really good, robust data. So we had extended trial of the bed with a high volume of rooms. So over 600 rooms had the bed over a six-month period to really, truly understand that if we were going to do this investment, that it was absolutely the right thing. So the business case is very much about the comfort of sleep scores, about looking at a business case that sits around it from a commercial point of view, but also our, our teams. So are the new beds easier for them to service? So, you know, they couldn't be any heavier. They had to sit on the in the existing bed frame. You know, we, we wanted to make sure that the headboards, particularly the headboards, we've changed the divans, but they had to sit within the frame of the existing headboards. So there is absolutely a business case associated to it. It had to be as easy for our housekeeping teams, if anything, make it easier for them. But then we also bring in sustainability. So how do we also become a force for goods? And we've actually increased the recyclable content by over 20%. So we're now at 93% recyclable. So that's another area that, you know, our guests tell us that they want us to be a force for good. And we respond by using product innovation to do that. Thanks. Just taking a step back, uh, you mentioned Premier Plus there. What part does that play in your product mix? For anybody who doesn't or isn't familiar with Premier Plus, um, give us a little bit more on what that is and how that sits alongside your fundamentally values-based or value-based, sorry, proposition. Yeah, so as I said, you know, we've developed this. We've now got over four and a half thousand Premier Plus rooms across our estates. We're over 80,000 bedrooms. So it's and it's growing. I mean, we're on a constant rollout of these as we refurbish hotels and we look at opportunities to, to um, roll out more of them. So it's still about being value. It's about delivering great value for whether it's business or leisure guests, but people who want a slightly enhanced experience when they stay with us. But it has, you know, there's a price point which we can maximise. After a certain point, does it become too expensive for our guests? So we are a budget brand. We're very clearly uh, within the budget category, but there's no reason 
reason that we can't give someone the extras where they want to pay for it. So we continue to kind of have our, our standard room, which is a great quality standard room. It's all focused around the bed. But there were, as I say, opportunities for us to upgrade what we're doing and continue to think about how we can roll that out uh, into the estate um, and get to a wider number of hotels. So if I'm reading that correctly, it's an incremental revenue play as opposed to a way to perhaps differentiate through an elevated experience offering, or is it both? It's a combination of both because it's all grounded in what the customers were looking for. So while there is a commercial uplift to us, it is absolutely based on the fact that customers wanted something over and above what we were already delivering. And therefore, we very much seem to be servicing a demand that was out there and choice. Um, and certainly, you know, within this period of time where there's focus on cost and so forth, where we are delivering an enhanced experience, but within a value proposition, uh, there are huge benefits to the consumer that they get this great experience, but also from a brand they trust. Thank you, Roy. Uh, you've been patiently awaiting. So I want to bring you in on a couple of the points that Tamara's already made, if I could. Calling back to some of the illustrations she was giving about the use of data at Premier Inn, great to get your take on the role that data should play in delivering CX and also what its limitations are. I mean, obviously many brands, Premier Inn being one of them in many categories, are blessed with a lot of first party data it's one thing having it another thing actually making good use of it what's your take on its role and what does good look like there yeah well firstly i think it's a very deeply impressive story tomorrow i mean the sort of application of data you know the connection that you make between the customer and the product through the data i think is a is you know it's 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 often easier said than done so i say hats off to you and the team i think that's an amazing story and I, I think you've hit all the kind of notes in in terms of you know kind of all roads eventually kind of lead to data of really being able to deliver you know kind of a better experience and I think you've got two you've got constantly these sort of two sides of it right you've got the stuff that tomorrow is talking about you know this 2.5 million you know kind of feedback survey feedback that they get from the customers every year so there's the insights that's driving this understanding you know whether it's a customer understanding or employee or partner understanding you know what they are what they're doing but also some of the more interesting stuff right what are the motivations what's motivating them what are their behaviors and what are their attitudes towards the brand and then how can you use that we talk about it in a you know and i know you enjoyed this term last time i used to <laughs> russell but this notion of using big data so all the the stuff the volume you get with this thick data so that's much more of a deeper understanding over thick data you know, hum- yes 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 humans and what motivates us and you know kind of the behavioral side of it rather than just the the signals that we're all getting and trying to use so so i think there's the whole insight part and actually applying that but then it's actually how do you apply the data to delivering that better experience so how can you drive out things like greater personalization or better products or services or automation or better intelligence or even in marketing you know very simply better targeting you know making sure you're using data to deliver the right message at the right place in the right time all the all the old jolly good stuff you know i think we've got a there's an example I think we've got with a sort of um, major high street retailer, which you know is using this two sides of it, right? The insights then to drive the actions, and their pursuit was, you know, is similar to tomorrow's in memory ways, right? They're a truly customer centric retailer on our high street and in the hearts and minds of the British public, and they've got this constant pursuit for this better understanding, knowing and responding to their customers. 
So they came to us with this challenge about actually how do we create this single unified voice of the customer for the whole organization? And then I think that's where you hit on your other point, which is the, these limitation side of it, right? So there's not a shortage of feedback from customers. So I know you can get it from any means that you want, right? Like I said, whether that's direct or indirect. And it's across a variety of data sources. So contact center data, survey data, NPS data, in-store data, social data, you know, commerce, transactional data. We've got more kind of data than we know what to do with. So the, the harder thing is actually, how do you pull that together? How do you then make it visible and available and then useful to the whole organization as well? You know, because what you serve up at the board level is very different from what you serve up at a on the store, on the ground, you know, kind of on the shop floor kind of level. So I think there's, there is the limitation is there's a real danger to get lost in data. And you can analyze reams and reams of it to create that sort of single view, that sort of nirvana, that perfect picture. But that's almost unachievable. So a lot of the stuff we do is around coaching clients to be happy with imperfection. You know, it's never going to be perfect. So, you know, we talk about this notion of just enough. You know, have you got enough understanding that you can move forward, but don't just keep on going back to the data and get lost in that sort of data rabbit hole because you can just get sucked into that and you know where further forward. Forensic analysis needs to be applied. Data is historic by nature so you need to understand the why Mm -hmm. that sits behind it and only humans there is still a place and room for us are uh, are able to do that I mean Tamara bringing you back in on this question of data um, you've got a lot of it gleaned from uh, interactions via your site and at your hotels Uh, Roy just touched upon it it's a question yes of making sense of it and finding out the why all of the time but it's also a technological challenge about managing data and making sure that it's not held in silos and in pockets i mean from a technology perspective i know you touched upon it earlier but how do you manage that data well thankfully i'm not in charge of it so that's the first thing because i think that would be the big worry but we have a fantastic bi team and they they're very much the custodians of it from a guest perspective and so we work really really closely with them and they help us interrogate it manage it utilize it as well as work and buy insights team to really kind of make sure that we're leveraging it as much as we possibly can and just going back to what Roy's saying you know we use the data for so many different things number one for reporting and our performance and guest satisfaction the insights that help us do new product development but also how we use it in our one-to-one marketing so you know just a completely different utilization of it and that's everything from encouraging people to come and book and stay with us how we manage our business customers so it's almost 50-50 split between business and leisure customers in our database some of the business customers are managed through corporate accounts some of it it's kind of people who SMEs and book with us directly and come through our business booker program. And then we have the people who book direct. So we have to use data to kind of manage all of those one-to-one communications. And then over and above that, we also have to do service communications to our customers. So every single time they're staying with us, they get a confirmation of booking email, a pre-stay communication. And so we're constantly playing data in order to be able to make sure we're communicating to our customers as much as possibly can. And, you know, going back to the start of the pandemic, for example, data was so, so cool that as we were told to shut down our hotels and we had to reach out to our customers. I mean, never on a scale like that have we had to almost reach out to every single customer on one day to say to them, I'm really sorry, but you can't come and stay with us. 
because the government has told us that we've got to close our, our doors and it's indefinite. So, you know, how we use data as such a key tool in being able to talk to our customers and tell them what was happening, what was happening to their, um, their stay and how we were going to manage their booking. So the importance of data as a kind of a superpower in our business is not lost in us. And respectfully, we manage it through brilliant teams who know how to use it, how to leverage it. And, you know, we're constantly evolving with it. I don't know, I don't think we've got it 100% right. We're always looking at how we can do it better, how we can be more personalised, how we can get perhaps more commercial value out of it. But it's, as Roy said, you know, kind of making sure that what's the right amount of data that we need, like not going over the top with it, but kind of what's, what's the right balance between what we have, how we can use it, and not tripping ourselves up by almost getting lost in the data. And talking about striking the right balance, again, you touched upon it earlier, Tamara, about using technology. Often, though, and I'm going to come across as a possibly even grumpy old person here, that technology clearly and digitization has opened up a lot of opportunities for better customer outcomes. But often it can feel it's to the benefit of the company and not the customer. I'd like to get both of your takes on striking that right balance. Um, I will start with you, Tamara. I mean, when you're assessing moving things to digital platforms that might have previously been done in person or over the phone in, in their bygone analog days, I mean, how do you make sure that you're doing it to the benefit of customers and not just doing it because it's perhaps more operationally efficient or even cheaper for Premier Inn? Well, first of all, you're not that old, honestly. It's a balance, right? So when we think about, again, what our customers want, you know, what, what's important to them when they come and stay with us and no particular order, it's things like the comfort of sleep, the Wi-Fi, the interaction with our team, cleanliness, parking. These are all things that are super important. Some of them can't be solved by technology. Car parking, well, that's, you know, you can use technology to make it easier, but ultimately, you know, it's kind of making sure there's a space and we've got it clean and it's available to people. We can enhance and liberate the check-in experience. So we have kiosks in the majority of our hotels. You get them in the supermarkets. It's just liberating the experience. Do you want a queue waiting to get to one receptionist to check in? Or do you find a way of getting people to check in via the kiosk, but have someone there to help service it if there's a question or so forth? So we really try and understand the tension points between liberating our teams to be able to deliver a better experience and the use of technology and it's evolving all the time so wherein is the right balance again we test it and we iterate it and we want to make sure that we we don't take away what's so important from our guest experience which is about the people and the service we're a service business at the end of the day but if we can use a robot to clean the uh, the floor versus a human it's great use of technology. So we're always mindful, we're always evolving, we're always thinking about it, you know, kind of making sure our Wi-Fi capabilities are good enough in the hotel so that it helps our team get on with the tasks that they can do delivering to the customer rather than thinking about some of the paperwork they might have to do back of house. So it works across every single area, not always the upfront guest interactions like front of house, but also back of house. There's a load of operational efficiency we can deliver through technology, which then means that they can get back out front and talking to our customers. And that's part of what we're constantly doing and evolving as we think about future iterations of the hotel. And Roy, uh, same question for you, really. How do you avoid doing tech for 
technology's sake. Yeah, I think we've touched upon it already, right? Which is about making sure that you start with the customer or the employee or the partner you, that you're, you know, you, you you start with them. That's why you're creating it. I think the problem that we find, you know, some of these big, you know, digital transformation programs that people spend lots of money on is they've got lost in the how and they've forgotten about the why. And so if you're constantly saying, okay, I'm creating this thing for the customer, an employee, a B2B partner, then you're always going to be on the right track. So you've got to sort of design it for and with the people you're ultimately going to use it, right? So as Tamara said as well, you know, we, we did a lot in the sort of products and services space. And, you know, it's about getting stuff into your customers' hands very quickly. They're the people that will tell you whether that's working or whether it's not. Doing stuff in these sort of laboratory environments, thinking, oh, this is a brilliant idea. I'm just going to go off and kind of build this thing now. It just doesn't work. And so the, the quickest way to know that you're on the right track is to get that constant validation or what you're building and make sure that you you know it sounds that this is all sounds a bit like tautology but you're building with the audience you're building it with the audience you're building it for as you're building it right so every, you know they're constantly helping you to to test and evolve it um, and it also drives early adoption and acceptance um you know i think as technologists and as marketing people there's always a temptation to grab what's new and shiny but i think a lot of people now have le- learned there's no point in innovation for innovation's sake. Um, and I know a lot of the companies we talk to are just trying to get the basics done and done well. Uh, and so, you know, our opinion, if it's not in the hands of your customers being used, then you probably shouldn't have built it in the first instance. Start with a customer, it'll never catch on. That's dangerous talk, is that, Roy? <laughs> just a, a supplementary to that. Have you seen any examples of where AI is being employed for the customer good? Um, Is that something that you've worked with? Or indeed, have you employed at uh, Premier Inn tomorrow? Is there any innovation there? Roy, let me begin with you. Yeah, I I think, I mean, there's tons in this space, right? I think there's, we've seen a lot in manufacturing, the use of AI to just become better, more efficient through the manufacturing process by having sensors on various things. And so whilst it's constantly monitoring and getting, you know, as we said earlier on, the insights from what's happening, it can then actually turn that into intelligence to improve and constantly improve the manufacturing process. So we've seen a a ton of application in that. One of our clients as well with AI, you know, it's simple like, you know, can't talk to the client itself, but we put small cameras on some of their trains that actually will take the readout of what's happening on the rails. And it will understand from, you know, the tracking of the camera, where there might be potential faults in the long and short term. And so there's a double whammy for that, because then that's all kind of then crunched for the AI. There's a great thing there, which is it's more safe for the the company, right? So they don't have to get people out on the tracks trying to look at what's happened to the, any damage or, or any faults. And they're very smarter about it because they know exactly where it's happening and why and how to fix it. So there's lots of really smart applications, I think, of AI, IoT in this sort of space, which is um, coming on very fast as well. Customer and company outcomes. Have you adopted any AI that you uh, can share with us tomorrow? Nothing that specifically I'll share, but it's certainly been 
looked at about where it can add value. And again, you know, I think it also comes with trepidation from some of our teams as well about what does that mean for them? So it's a, it's a real balance, you know, where we can use it, where it's going to kind of, again, liberate, uh, but also manage our, our team's expectations. So lots of investigation, uh, lots of conversations, um, but nothing kind of uh, specific to talk about today. We'll watch this space and perhaps talk to you about it in the future. Grounded more in the here and now and the reality for many people, many of your customers and uh, the customers of your clients, Roy, mm. is cost of living. Uh, inflation's yeah. stuck stubbornly at uh, 10% mm. at the time of recording. So what impact might the cost of living crisis have on customer expectations, CX expectations? Look, I think there's the, the cost of living has definitely impacted and heightened the need to actually, and I think tomorrow I've spoken a lot to this, really, really deliver a differentiated and more valuable experience to customers. I think the reason why it has to be differentiated and deliver the clear value is that we're making fewer and less frequent purchasing decisions. So people are just naturally buying less. So there's more scrutiny on what, why, and the value of what I'm buying. I think there's also, again, I think to tomorrow's point, it, it just sort of drives this greater need for transparency around what you're getting for your money or this notion of value for money. And that means visibility in presenting the information accurately, but also greater transparency on why it's priced the way it is. I think I've used this, maybe used this example before, Russell, so forgive me, but there's this wonderful brand called Palette, which is an eyewear company. And they have a really simple proposition, which is producing glasses costs less than 10 pounds a pair. So why would you spend 500? Which makes me, you know, as a, a very high frequent user of glassware, often feel a bit, little bit ill in my, in my stomach. But it's a very strong value proposition, and it's and it's a real clarity on why they offer frames that start from five pounds, and they tell you that because they go direct to source and they cut out everything along that journey to keep the price lowest as it can for you. I think that's very, very powerful and it's very differentiated and they're using that price transparency to create that differentiation. And at the same time, creating a very disruptive experience, which is it's all direct to consumer, right? They have stores, but you can't buy in store. The only place you can buy is online because they've created this very efficient sort of supply chain to be able to deliver on those glasses. But I don't think it's priced alone, actually. I think we also know that people are willing to pay more for better experiences. And so I think there's a, you know, with less frequency of purchasing, I think it puts pressure back on um, brands to make sure you are creating a better experience than your competitors. For sure, I mean, it requ- I mean it's a challenge, a multifaceted challenge and requires lots of tactical levers and perhaps many more uh, than many marketers have been used to having to pull or even have the option or influence over. I mean, Tamara, what are you seeing in terms of uh, customer behavior? How is the cost of living and the increased cost of living and the rates of inflation that most people haven't experienced firsthand? I think there are lots of different facets to this. So I think 
everybody is aware of the impact of cost of living and it's affecting all of us. And I think from a point last year where kind of people were questioning value for money in some of our metrics, I think the interesting thing is they're actually realising all those inflationary costs are also hitting us. And therefore, of course, our laundry costs are going to be going up and our energy costs and so forth. So, of course, we're going to have to absorb some of these costs. And I, I think it's very clear people are not prepared to give up on the importance of personal relationships and interactions. And I think, if anything, the pandemic has shown us that travel, connectivity, people are more important than ever. So they're not willing to give up on those moments of getting away and making moments or even changing working habits still mean that people are getting back out there and travelling. So there is an understanding of the fact that we are in a place where there is inflation. People are still traveling. We have seen high occupancy levels in the last year. We've just released our results and had phenomenally high occupancy levels. And that's really testament, I think, to the fact that people know what they're going to get. The consistency and the the tenants of the brand, which are all about comfort and reliability and service, mean that when people are parting with their hard-earned money. They actually know what they're going to get. The risks have gone. So I think we are perfectly positioned to kind of deliver on those kind of occasions for travel. And very much the brand plays in that. You know, the last year, the the creative has been talking about the same feeling, whatever the trip. So whatever you're traveling for, um, you're going to get that consistency and reliability. And yeah, it is costing that little bit more, but at least you're de-risking your stay by coming and staying with a brand that you know and trust. I mean, for for uh, the record, I think at the time of recording, you just mentioned it there. You just have uh, released your financials and you've managed to get back and indeed surpass pre-pandemic levels in regards to profit and revenue. So it does certainly seem that you are a good option at the right time. Mm. Referring to those financial results. I pulled out a a quote from your CEO, Dominic Paul. I'll read it for word, uh, word for word. Our teams are at the heart of our business. They deliver outstanding experiences for our guests and are key to our excellent operational and financial performance. He went on to talk about how they are supported to be able to deliver those outstanding experiences that he referred to. What role does the experience of employees play, would you say, in delivery of customer experience, better customer experience at Premierium? I mean, it's it's the core of what we do, right? We have um, 35,000 employees across over 850 hotels and restaurants uh, right across the UK and Ireland. And now we're growing in Germany. So... We can't run our business if it wasn't for our employees. They're they're really, really core. And, you know, we get the opportunity every year to go and talk to our operational line about the products and services and the brand investment that we're doing. But it's so important that we're true and honest about what we deliver. So, you know, when we do our... TV advertising, we don't get actors to play our teams, we get our teams to play our teams because it's really important. You know, number one, there's a massive amount of pride for them to be appearing in our TV advert. Being, you know, we used a housekeeper this year to smooth out the beds. And for them, you know, this is enormous sense of pride of the service that they're delivering. So 
by working closely with operations, by having operational standards and brand standards, we're all clear on, on what's expected. And they'll call us out, you know, if a pillow is not the right way that it is in the standards on the TV ad, they kind of, they'll go, well, why did you do that? We're not allowed to use artistic license. We try to be as representative of what we ask them to deliver in the operational line. And therefore, they understand how important it is. And, you know, they're, they're empowered to over-deliver on our customers' experiences. So we enable them to do what we call PI wow. So they can select guests and, you know, for an occasion or as a surprise and delight to do something and put something in their room as a, a bit of a, as I say, a surprise and delight. And that's a really, really small thing, but it delivers a massive customer experience benefit for people when they walk in and there's a personalized card written for the guests. You won't expect it from a premier in, but we do do it. And it's all part of making them feel appreciated, welcomed, and very much valued by, uh, by our teams. Small things do matter. I was uh, recently in a hotel, not premier in, I hasten to add in, uh, in, uh, in Dublin with my family. My daughter came to meet me in the corridor beside ourselves with excitement. They've left us chocolates, they've left us chocolates. She shouted. Yeah. Small things do matter. Yeah. Exactly. It's just those little things that really do make a difference and that people go away and talk about it and kind of, you know, a premiere and delivered above and beyond my expectations. Um, and it will build that loyalty. Yeah. Uh, chocolate really does matter. Uh, to my 11-year-old, anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Roy, any other practical steps that you would advise brands to take in making that link between EX and CX? Yeah, you know, well, we've got a very strong opinion on this, Russell, which is, you know, we've been, we feel like the, we've been looking at the problem through the wrong lens for many years, and it's not actually a CX problem. It should actually start with a EX problem, if you like. So yeah, we've got this firm belief that if you're going to be truly customer-centric, you must first be an employee-centric business. And there's thousands upon thousands of studies that show that, you know, companies that are demonstrating these high levels of maturity and invest in their employees, you know, see much more tangible returns. And that's just not tangible returns in terms of the top line and bottom line, but also, you know, high levels of retention, improved employee satisfaction, improved kind of employee lifetime value in the organization. So I think the practicalities of it is that all businesses need to have, I think, a, an employee experience mindset. You know, I think the sort of, you know, uh, and I talk about them a lot, but because they're, they're just an amazing brand, I think. But I think the poster chart for this, who balances this CX with this EX, is, you know, a business like John Lewis. It's an employee-owned business. It has a clear articulated vision and set of values. And they drive that right through the business, right down to the policy level. So they've got the right mindset and then they've, they've delivered that through the sort of right methods and the measures. So, you know, they were the first to introduce 26 weeks of equal parental pay and leave. They offer two weeks paid leave and access to counselling and mental health services if you've suffered a loss of pregnancy. All the jobs are offered on Flexible First. They do a lot of work around busting taboos, around menopause. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just really living those values and driving them through the organisation that makes them a hugely successful business. And, you know, they're often cited spontaneously in many surveys as, you know, who, who really is holding up the bastion of, of delivering great customer service experience pretty involuntarily, everybody will tell you John Lewis. And that's where we think that's really demonstrating that 
balance of EX and, and CX. Yeah. And all of those things can be done by PLCs. It's not unique to a <laughs> company with a partnership yeah. structure. And of course, John Lewis, the John Lewis partnership, uh, Waitrose, John Lewis brands are exposed to the vagaries of the current economic environment. But you're right, they always come out top regardless on CX. And I've, I think, and I've heard it enough times over the years to know that that has to have something to do with the time and effort that they employ making their partners feel better and want to yeah. do better as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked a lot tomorrow, uh, obviously the very purpose of this podcast is to get closer to how you deliver better CX but how do you measure it how do you measure the impact of it and particularly how do you link that with commercial outcomes how does it work at Premier Inn so as I say we we do a post-day survey we also do lots of product innovation so everything has got measures against what we're doing so there will be clearly there's financial cases, but there's very much a sense on understanding impact on comfort. And we, we drill down into the absolute minor detail on the individual elements that we're working on from a customer experience point of view. So if we're going to make a change to check-in experience, what's it doing on the overall welcome experience? So we have probably about 20 or 30 different measures that appear in our customer engagement survey that we use as measures and additional questions when we're putting things through trial to really try and drill down. So those measures are quite key to us being able to prove a business case. So there is a financial side, there's a customer side, and then there's the labor side and the the employee side. So it's a blend. We, We don't look at it with a single mind about it being all about the commercial uplift. There's no point having commercial uplift if it's got a terrible experience or our teams can't deliver it. So we find a way to blend the three of them. And then the last one that we overlay is our force for good credential um, on that. Yeah, accepting that it's not all about commercial upside, but if you're going to invest in something, the realities of business would demand that you're going to get some kind of return at some point. Or am I talking nonsense? I mean, you did touch upon it there, uh, that there is, it does help build a financial case. Is that for reinvestment or is that just to pat yourself on the back, knowing that you've been effective in your CX efforts? Well, not everything's got a financial value to it, right? So we we don't expect everything uh, to have a pound sign associated to it. So some of it will be about if the guest has a great night's sleep, then it will mean that they'll come back and stay again because we've, we've got a reputation to build. So, you know, we don't have a revenue target against the change of our bets. That's just new product innovation and development. There's a life cycle associated to our product. And at a certain point, a bed will go out of life. and We need to do a replacement. Do we do like for like replacement or do we strive to put a product in which is better in delivering a better customer experience? So, and that's very much what we did. We kind of looked as the, the existing bed is that there's, you know, there's nothing wrong, but can we do better with it? And it's good, it's just continuous involvement of what we're doing. So some will have financial targets and some of it won't. Or some of it will be about if there's a cost associated to the business, can we get to cost neutrality or as close uh, to cost neutrality with what we're doing? So. Different, different projects, different initiatives, different set of KPIs um, and measures that we look at. 
And quite right too, different objectives require different measures of success. One last question for both of you, if I could. If there's one thing for the benefit of everybody listening that you have learned works in terms of driving better customer experience, what would that be? Tomorrow, I'll start with you. It doesn't have to be at Premier Inn. It could be in any other role that you've had in the past in travel, leisure and hospitality. But if there's one thing, what would it be? Continuous listening. Um, you know, what I learned when I first started 20 years ago isn't necessarily what's the answer today. So the power of insights from all angles. So it's got to come as a holistic um, view, makes a massive difference. So therefore, you know, keep listening, keep trying to understand what customers are saying and make sure you use it in what you're doing to deliver a better experience for them. Stay closer by listening to what they're saying and observing what they're doing. Roy? Well, I think again, you know, tomorrow's stolen my thunder here. I think it's about, you know, going, you know, getting onto the shop floor. It's about going to your contact centers, talking to your people and really understanding what their day-to-day realities are. The better you understand that, the better experience you can create for your customers or for your employees or even your partners. And as, as we said, you know, as, as I keep on saying, focus on the EX, focus on the employee experience, and you will undoubtedly realize better customer experience, which will, you know, lead to great revenues, profits, and all the good things that businesses need. A, uh, a great uh, way to finish and conclude today. There's only so much you're going to learn from staring at a spreadsheet. Uh, customer closeness, yeah. I think, is something that uh, you've both referred to in your final thoughts. So thank you very much for sharing your experiences, the insight that you've gained from the successes that you've had. Tamara, thank you very much. Thank you. And Roy, thank you very much. Thank you. Until next time, goodbye. You have been listening to Marketing Week Meets the CX50 in partnership with Zone and Cognizant Digital Experience with me, Russell Parsons. This podcast was produced by Tim O'Donoghue at Bauer London Creative. Look out for previous episodes on marketingweek.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.